I'm Elena Salinas, software engineer and host of the Women in Tech show, technical interviews with prominent women in tech. From idea to execution, starting a tech company is a rewarding experience. Wenwen Lam, founder and CEO of Next Travel, explains what it took to launch a tech company. We talked about the process of exploring ideas, talking to clients, and building a product. In the early days of Next Travel, a huge player in the market pulled their partnership. This could have meant the end of the company. However, Wenwen and her co-founder believed in the idea and worked even harder. Wenwen explained the process of building the company. We talked about the problem they're solving in the corporate travel space, finding clients, and pricing strategies. We also talked about her experience at Y Combinator. Wenwen Lam, founder and CEO of Next Travel, welcome to the show. I want to begin with a quote from a blog post that you wrote back in September 1st, 2015. In this blog post, you said, it was in July of last year that I hit rock button with one thought blaring through my terrified mind. Our product was only half built and a huge player in the market had suddenly pulled our partnership, making it impossible for our company a corporate travel booking site called Next Travel to go online. I want to understand the process of creating this business and launching a tech company. First, I want to start with some background on how the idea of Next Travel originated. What were you doing at that time? Absolutely. So actually, my co-founder and I started this company as a consumer travel site. We both love travel. We're passionate about it. And it started out as an idea that was very similar to Airbnb for trips or Airbnb trips. What that means is that we were looking to build something where everyone could book something that was not a flight or a hotel or a car online. So let's say you land in Paris, you could have a package with all of the things that you wanted to see, like all your museum tickets and all of that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. You know, as we kind of started working on next travel more, we realized that, you know, the market wasn't there for that. It was very expensive to acquire customers. And you've seen a number of players in the market raise a lot of money trying to attack on that specific problem. Kind of one of the better one no known ones was Zozi. It, it raised quite a bit of money and there's been a few others and I haven't seen um, a lot of success in that category, but maybe Airbnb will. Mm -hmm. What we kind of figured out at that point was that there is a big need to actually service the corporate market. So I come from an enterprise sales background. And when we were looking at how to change our business, I started saying, hey, we should maybe talk to businesses and try to see what they're looking to do in travel. And we talked to probably 100 businesses before we even launched Next Travel. And they all said the same thing. They said, we need help streamlining you know, flights and hotels and the existing options are so bad and we don't like them. And so um, that's how me and my co-founder got started um, building what you see as Next Travel today. So before starting to build it, you had conversations with a lot of people to validate the idea. Absolutely. So one of the most important things um, that we did, and one of the things I think we did really well, was we got product market fit um, by talking to customers. And I think that that's a key thing that many, many customers or companies forget to do is actually talk to customers and figure out what they want. Mm -hmm. 
And how would you find these customers? Would you just think of companies and just reach out to anyone there? Like, I have this idea or I want to talk to you about solutions and travel? Well, when we first started, we partnered with a company called Funded By. And it was actually pretty interesting because they said everyone is looking for a travel solution and they were servicing small businesses. So what they would do is they would, you know, set a company up with their health insurance and their payroll. But a lot of these companies were also looking for travel And we actually built around the pipeline of those customers because when we first built our product, you know, you know, people were saying, oh, I want discounts, you know, on travel, but that wasn't really what they wanted. They actually really wanted a place to streamline all of their travel. And so as we started um, talking to more and more people, we realized that there's a very strong need for what we've built today. And what was bad about the existing solutions back then? What were some of the bottlenecks? The bottlenecks actually still exist to a large degree. So, for example, it's very hard to use. It's hard to drive online adoption. They're very expensive. So they're prohibitively expensive for a small business, actually. So we did a few things um, when we launched. We gave it away for free for small companies because we didn't have any features yet. And as we kind of grew into ourselves, we started charging, of course, for the products as we built more enterprise features. Then there are inventory issues. So a lot of the incumbents, they control what inventory that you're able to see. So for example, they only put specific flights or hotel content. And, you know, a lot of companies were looking for more broad-based content, as well as the ability to be able to, you know, leverage kind of volume for discounts. So I'd say those were two key things that the current incumbents were not um, great at. And even today, when we sell against, you know, a company that's been around for 20 years, you know, we win quite a lot of the time because we're easier to use and we just make the process of booking travel much better. One thing that you just mentioned that I'm really interested in because I've thought about it is this notion of pricing. For example, you mentioned at the beginning, you give it away for free for small companies, then later you charge. Do you normally give them a notion of how much you're going to charge later or how does this work? Well, at the beginning, you essentially need to figure out what to build, right? So you grandfather in those first clients and those loyal clients because they're going to have to put up with a lot of your you know, mistakes from the onset because you're a new company. And then as you build what people kind of need, then you're able to charge and figure out the pricing model. Mm-hmm. In our case, like the pricing was very standard across um, what people were charging. And we uncovered a lot of different things with pricing, you know, as we grew as a company. But we still do have like a free tier, for example, for that really small company that just wants to book travel on one corporate credit card. Another thing that I want to talk about, which you mentioned in the blog, is closing big deals for companies. In this blog post, your co-founder tries to motivate you because you lost a, a client and He's telling you, you've closed big deals before. What is some strategies for you to find the right people or companies to make a deal with? Well, you have to actually assume that like when you're working on something new, especially in the enterprise space, that you have to be looking at a fairly progressive company. And so we kind of pride ourselves on having worked with some like the fastest growing, most progressive companies. I mean, we've had a number of companies just pre-IPO start using us. But also you have to sell into what experience that they want for their employees. So it really is, it comes down to product market fit. You need to have built something that people want and sell them what they're looking for. And if the existing incumbents aren't giving them what they want, then you have to go ahead and build that. And when you first started working on this company, were you 
Did you and your co-founder have full-time jobs or were you just working on this full-time? When we first started, my co-founder was traveling and I was winding down another company, actually. So, you know, I'm a serial entrepreneur. And then he actually was working at a gaming company. And back then, um, there was a kind of a big implosion because Facebook had shut down their newsfeed. So he had been traveling for a bit. Mm -hmm. And so we just started working on this and, you know, kicking ideas around to see if it would work. And had you experienced this beforehand in the companies you had worked with, like oh, the booking corporate travel is, is just not good. Yes, actually. So it's something that like I have firsthand dealt with. I, it's the whole process of booking and expensing like at different jobs is pretty broken. And so it is something that I have dealt with in the past. Okay. And I find this interesting because I've been at Microsoft since I left school and I don't see those things because this big corporation already has this processes in place. There's the HR portal, the HR tool, the travel tool. So it's interesting to see companies like this pop up for everyone, like Zenefits, Next Travel. Mm -hmm. In this blog post, you also mentioned apparently getting a partnership with a travel company was impossible for a startup. What were some of the things that you found made it impossible or hard? You know, I think it's a function of our industry. Our industry is very slow to change. And they also don't want to change, right? Because it's changing their fundamental business model. And so they've done business the same way for the last 20, 30 years. And, you know, they want to keep doing business the way that they do business because it makes them money. So, of course, they don't want to change. They don't like new players and it's a monopoly business. Mm -hmm. If you look at corporate travel as a whole, it's 2018. And, you know, a lot of travel is still being processed by travel agents still today, which, you know, for leisure, you don't hear about that anymore. You don't hear about people calling a travel agent to book a flight. So I would say that I, it would speak largely to an industry that is old, slow to change and kind of a dinosaur that's kind of gotten too big um, to move. Mm -hmm. Or companies might also tell you, we already have this system and it, it's been working for 20 years and then ask you if you have any clients. But then is it like a chicken and the egg problem? It was at the beginning because, you know, they were like, you don't have any clients. And we were like, well, we need to be able to issue plane tickets to, to get clients. But we did find a partner, a great partner, Atlas Travel, that took a chance on us. And it was great. And this first partner that you also mentioned was a really good partnership. They just took a chance on you and or did you have to convince them or they were just like, we hate this process, we're willing to let you give it a shot? I think one of the things about it is that they see where the future of travel is going. And I think they also see where the future of corporate travel is going. And it is very much towards a company like ours. I mean, you've seen a number of, a couple of competitors pop up in this space more recently. And um, I think for these partners... It's their decision whether they want to hop on and embrace the future or potentially be left behind. Mm -hmm. And once you had a good partner after losing the first one, it took you about three months from booking a ticket on next travel to getting it issued. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned this is not common because startups are supposed to be moving fast, failing fast, recovering fast. What were variables that you didn't account for that cost this release to take a long time? You have to keep in mind that like you're dealing with a third party. So it's not like you're just releasing something into the wild that you've built. You're releasing something with somewhat of a dependency on another party. In you know travel specifically, you need to be a travel agency 
or have travel agency accreditation to do something called issue a ticket. And so that causes a lot of delays because you have to sync up with a company that's not your own. You know, so it's actually pretty amazing that it ever happens really, right? <laughs> that, you know, two parties come together to be able to do this. But today, I mean, we do quite a bit of business together and we've automated the process. But in the beginning, it's a lot of back and forth. It's a lot of, you know, one party learning about the other party's business and like, you know, having, you know, differences of opinion on how to do things sometimes because we're a technology company, you know, there are travel agencies. So fundamentally, the businesses are quite different. How much would you say can be automated in this process? For example, you mentioned some people are still using travel agents. Did you find when you started working in this space that a great chunk of it could be automated with technology? Yes, we did. So our online adoption rate is 99.3%. And I think the industry average is something like 50 or 60%. So we did automate a lot of that. And I think that we proved that out. Um, we also did a lot of stuff with our agency where it's auto ticketed. So like there's no agent that touches a ticket after it's been booked online through us. There's a lot of stuff that you can do that you can actually take out the manual labor. And we're looking at a lot of parts of the business in which there is kind of a lot of manual labor as well. And Next Travel ended up getting accepted into Y Combinator. What do you think made Next Travel a good fit for Y Combinator? One of the things I would say is that our team did a really great job. And it, at that point, it was me and my co-founder of really nailing product market fit. And I think we did really well because we talked to tons and tons of customers and we figured out what people wanted to use. And I think that that's the number one mm -hmm. thing that's hard to do when you're building a company, actually. Yeah, doing all these research. It's not even doing research. It's like talking to the customer and figuring out what they actually want versus what they say they want. Sometimes they tell you things that they don't really want. But really, it's your job as, you know, like founders and, and product people to be able to um, kind of synthesize what they're saying into what really is the product that people are going to use. And when you were applying for what combinator at that time you didn't have any usage numbers right like we onboarded three clients and they're big clients it was most of we know there's a need for this solution so we had signed a big client already actually we just didn't have the tickets running okay. and it was due to that third party but after while we were in yc we were able to finally get the ticketing up so after that it was not smooth sailing but then we began to be able to see you know what people wanted, transact business, which is pretty cool. And what were you and your co-founder focusing on while you were at Y Combinator? We were focusing on figuring out how to get more customers, even though our stuff didn't really, really work yet. So, you know, we figured that out, you know, probably I'd say after Y Combinator, but some companies figured it out during, which is very helpful. I think you start really seeing that there's a focus on growth within YC companies and like how to achieve that growth. And like to this day, it's one of the things that we do well is like we have a metric that our company internally looks at that we want and that we kind of measure ourselves by. You mentioned something really interesting that you were focusing on getting more customers, even though your stuff didn't work. <laughs> For me personally, that would be hard to speak with the customers. I would be like in the back of my head, it doesn't work yet, but... Is this a, a common strategy just to find the customers and then you'll figure out how to make it work? You know, we actually knew that it was going to work as soon as the ticketing piece. 
was that? So we weren't super concerned about that because, you know, it's more enterprise customers. So you kind of know that there's a long sales cycle there. And then also, I mean, quite frankly, my co-founder and I were booking travel manually before we um, started this company to kind of learn as much as we could about it. Yeah, that's an interesting thing. Like you said, the nature of the product gives you confidence that you'll be able to get it out the door, you know, as long as you get the resources. Yeah. It's not like doing some biology problem where, I don't know, you promise something and then the technology is not there yet and you don't know it. And at what Combinator, what were some of your biggest takeaways? Honestly, I really thought YC was a great experience. The network effect is really, really powerful for a company like ours specifically. We had a lot of smaller YC companies that used us um, and still use us today. And we were able to learn a lot from those customers because at the beginning, no product is perfect and no company is perfect. And the first few years are rough because you're really learning on the go. Like what you're, and you know, we had a batchmate actually. It's a company called Plotzi, and they were a bigger company in our batch. They were already 30 people. And we literally would build product around some of the things they asked us. They would say, hey, we really want this, and we would build it for them. But I would say that it was so valuable having someone like that because no one's going to tell you that stuff unless they're, you know, feel, they feel comfortable telling you that. And today they still use us. So while you were at YC, you had this opportunity of trying it out in the other companies that were part of the program. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And I saw on my research for this interview that six months after launching Next Travel, you had over a million dollars worth of bookings on the site and the growth was between 50 and 100%. Can you talk a little bit about the growth strategy? Was it the network or YC? or? Well, first of all, we when we were first launching and, and first doing business, we literally were just getting taking any customers we could get. And over time, our growth strategy has been, number one, target companies that grow, obviously. Number two, target companies that are a very good fit for us. So a good company that's a fit for us is a company that's progressively thinking. Um, a company that's a good fit for us is a company that cares about the experience of their employees. You know, And so as we have gone up market, we're very cognizant that like, there are customers that are a better fit for us than you know not. And so our growth strategy has been centered around actually finding the right companies to work together, to partner together, because the more successful they are and the more innovative they are, the better our product gets. And so when other companies like older traditional companies are ready to make a move, then, you know, they don't have to go through any of the learning pains. Whereas, you know, some of the companies that we work with today are happy that we get to kind of build things around the way that they want to do things and build, you know, their entire, you know, like the future of work is not just travel. It's, you know, HR and expense and all, all the tools that you use at work. And so we've been fortunate to be able to work with a lot of companies that have given us great feedback and made our product a hundred times better. Mm -hmm. We've grown quite a bit over the last, you know, year. I mean, the last two years, especially, we grew more than the first year. So like, I would say we tripled or doubled and tripled or maybe even quadrupled over those last four years. And so we now like it's totally different than what we were before. And it's been a really fun ride. Yeah. And do you still meet with your current customers one on one in person to get this feedback? Or is there a feedback loop already embedded in the software? It depends on how big the customers are. Some of the customers that we work with, we still do meet with one-on-one. -on -one. Others that we, we do have a feedback loop in place for the smaller customers, because obviously we now have hundreds of customers. It doesn't 
you know, we don't have the time to talk to every single small company anymore. Mm -hmm. And soon that will be thousands. So it's going to be quite challenging. Okay. And earlier you mentioned you're a serial entrepreneur. I'm curious about pricing strategies for software throughout Mm -hmm. your experience as an entrepreneur. What are some of the different ones and how do you begin to evaluate them? So actually for pricing strategy, we actually did not have a pricing strategy at the beginning. We were mirroring our expense partners. But as we've grown, we definitely have come up with a new pricing strategy that is actually working very well. So we focus on two things at Next Travel. Our core, one of our core values is transparency. And for pricing strategy, we believe that the companies that we work with want to know how much they're spending on travel and how much they're going to spend. And so we built our pricing strategy around that. So um we want to do like no fit hidden fees, like, you know, upfront costs rather than transaction fees. And that's our current pricing strategy. And it's working quite well. Mm-hmm. In terms of just general pricing strategy, I think also it takes two to three months to figure out if, if pricing strategies do work. And there's a lot of tweaking that needs to happen. I would say that we took a little bit too long to change our pricing strategy. What did you change it from? Are you talking about the one where it's free and then you started charging or... What was the before and after? Um, We were doing it on a transaction base. So it would be like if you process 20 transactions, you would get charged per transaction. Now we're just doing an upfront fee that says it's up to this many transactions so that you'll know that you're spending, you know, $10,000 on software upfront already. Mm -hmm. And you don't have to worry about, you know, the fact that you're going to end up spending $15,000 and you didn't even know it and you didn't even notice, which is one of the biggest complaints about the pricing models today in our industry. Yes, I think about that a lot. For example, in Netflix, I have a subscription, but I'm like, why should I pay if I didn't watch anything this month? It should be, you know, pay. If I watch something in the month, pay the monthly fee. But there's all these months where I'm being charged and I'm not really using it. Or there's also the licensing model, which I think wouldn't make sense for you because people book more and booking costs. So that license doesn't really make sense for your company, I think. Mm -hmm. Before we finish, I just want to talk real quick about this project that you did a few years ago called Women Mm 2.0. Of course. Yeah. Can you explain how that originated? Where were you at that time? I was in San Francisco and actually a friend of mine, Noah Kagan, had started this organization called E27, Entrepreneur 27. And he basically said, you guys should do one for women. So he introduced me to three other you know, women. And and we started just doing very small grassroots events, actually, out of my apartment back then in San Francisco. And I think that like, you kind of see the same thing happening a little bit today in some of the communities here, because, you know, women that are working in tech, you know, they're the minority quite often. And so especially female entrepreneurs, it's hard to find a support network. And so it's a nice way to, you know, get women together to be able to talk about their problems. And I think that entrepreneurship in general is quite lonely. So this events, it was mostly women getting together and talking about, you know, their experiences as entrepreneur technology, or was it also you schedule up talk with somebody? We would do both. So we would actually get prominent female entrepreneurs and male entrepreneurs and VCs to actually do things like office hours or whatnot. And we would do panels sometimes, just kind of ad hoc. So we did like, you know, a bunch of those types of things. And it's pretty fun. Mm -hmm. One thing you just mentioned is being an entrepreneur feels lonely. Is that correct? Yes. (laughs) Okay. Is that even with your co-founder 
or what aspect of it makes it lonely that people around you are not understanding what you're going through because they might be full-time employees? I think that there's just a different level of attachment when it's your company because you're responsible for, you know, literally the well-being in some way, shape or form of every single person at your company, right? So like if someone's not performing like, and you have to get rid of them, that's your responsibility. If your company doesn't make enough money or raise enough money, then, you know, you have to, you know, like fire people. That's your responsibility. If someone's not happy at work, it's your responsibility. And I think that's really what it comes down to. And that's what's lonely about entrepreneurship. And going back to this serial entrepreneurship that you've been doing, I'm just curious, when do you decide to move on to the next thing, like jumping from one company to next travel or were you a co-founder of the other one? So what is this serial entrepreneurship? So I, you know, I did one other company before this and I was a co-founder, but it wasn't my company where I am today. I think, you know, you work on it until it has the most impact as you can have, or until you think that you can't work on it anymore. Today, I've been working on this now for at least four years, and I think that we finally have hit our stride, right? And we're finally getting to a place where we're, we're getting a bit more mass market adoption. And so we're just going to keep working on it um, and blocking and tackling because I think it's the best once you're able to get product market fit and have happy customers and stuff. And I think you go through lots of different phases, but I think generally entrepreneurs make different decisions on when to let go and when to move on. And what do you like about being a serial entrepreneur? You know, I wouldn't say it was necessarily a choice. I like building things, definitely. I like um, making an impact. I would say those are the two things I like the most. Well, Win-Win, thank you for taking the time to come on the show. It's been a great conversation with you about building next travel. Awesome. Thanks for your time. And it was good to meet you. Thank you.